What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 24 of Preloaded. My name is Josh Finderup, and I'm joined, as always, by the other half of Preloaded, Jackson Vanover. How are you doing this week, Jackson? I'm doing great, Josh. As a Mass Effect fan, I am pretty happy. Yeah, we got a huge Mass Effect uh, announcement this week, the one everybody was kind of waiting for, so we're going to be talking about that. We also got some news about some uh, studio acquisitions, which uh, is super interesting. That's actually going to be what leads into our deep dive discussion, uh, which we have some uh, some hints as to who might be developing the Knights of the Old Republic remake. So that's super exciting. We also have some additional tweaks to our format uh, this week. We're not changing things quite as much as we did last week, but to our longtime listeners, uh, we got some of your feedback in our email, which was fantastic, and we're listening. We're just trying to make a, a, a better and continue to make a tighter show uh, for everyone listening and watching. So you want to stay tuned for all of that. But first, you can catch Preloaded every Friday is when we post. You can get the video versions over on our YouTube channels. I'm Quest Mode on YouTube, and Jackson is JV, J-A-Y-V-E-E, and you can listen to the audio versions, if you prefer that, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you are listening on any of those platforms, we'd love for you to leave a review. If you really like the podcast, drop a five-star review or even a written review. And finally, you can write into Preloaded at the email address preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we welcome your feedback, uh, but we'd love to get your questions because at the end of the show... We dig into our mailbag and talk about one of your questions. So if there's anything you want to hear us talk about on next week's show, write in to preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. So we are going to kick things off this week with a question, but not the who the hell are these guys segment. We figure, you know, one of the bits of feedback we got was that our, our listeners probably have a decent idea of who we are. And so another way that we could talk about kind of break the ice up front is talk about what we've been playing and jackson we are now going to kick off the show with our new segment what the hell have you been playing <laughs> it's a great question and it's always uh something we talk about and think about uh yeah so for me i've played a ton of games i've dipped my toes in many different waters so to speak um i took a crack at demon souls i finally tried to go back to that game and um i was on the tower night uh, I'm sure you know, Josh, yeah. and mm -hmm. I, I was like way overestimating like how difficult this boss was. And so I wasted like all of my consumables <laughs> and I did that dumb thing where you go and um, crush like the souls of heroes or whatever and get, you know, a bunch of souls. Yeah. And, you know, you're supposed to save those to level up. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, I was dumb and I popped them right before facing the Tower Knight. Um, long story short. I, I I went through that experience that almost everyone who plays the, those games does. I lost a bunch of souls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so not to dwell on that one too long, but yeah, I tried out Destruction All-Stars. I thought it was okay. I went back to Assassin's Creed Origins, and I'm loving that game. Um, yeah, that's what I've been playing. Nice. Well, I'm glad you got into Demon's Souls. Does it, does it have its hooks into you, or are you uh, uh, <laughs> underwhelmed? I'm not underwhelmed. Um, I kind of just gave up. Sometimes I'm in the mood to really <laughs> struggle. Um, yeah. Other times I'm not. So I kind of just said, eh, 
I'll, yep. I'll, I'll fight the Tower Knight when I'm in the mood. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's uh, that's awesome. Uh, I have been playing more Hitman. <clears throat> I got through uh, the fourth uh, mission, the the one that takes place in China, um, and I have continued to just try to get. Uh, well, I haven't tried. I have gotten to mastery level twenty, so that's why it's taking me so long. As I play each level at least probably seven or eight times before I move on to the next. And I've just continued to love that game, love the sandbox elements of it, the freedom that it gives me. Um, and I'm looking forward to diving into more stealth games after. I'm like kind of fascinated with the stealth genre after getting so deep into Hitman. And then I've been playing, or I played the medium. Uh, I, I played it start to finish, took me like three sittings. It's a pretty short game. Um, and I, you know, it was it was a solid seven out of 10 for me. I wasn't super hot on it. Um, I think you had mentioned last week, Jackson, that it didn't kind of um, uh, utilize the types of horror and survival horror that you were looking for or something like that. Right. But yes, I did. I'm right there with you. I didn't read any of the reviews. I went in totally blind and I didn't realize this this is really more of an adventure game than it is a survival horror game. It's like a horror adventure game. Uh, not a lot right. of combat. You can only die a very few instances in the game. So there's not a lot of suspense. That said, the story was really good. So if you like, um, almost like a, if you want almost like a really good story in a in a, a horror walking sim package, this could be for you. But not not my cup of tea. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's it's a bit of a bummer, but I mean, seven out of ten is still a good you know rating, which you know indicates to me at least that you still enjoyed it. So. I did. Yeah, I mean, it, um, it it held my interest. Yeah, that's awesome. I did want to ask you a quick Hitman question. What do you think about the Berlin level? Oh, I loved it. It was awesome. Um, Wasn't like, that cool? Yeah, I, I tweeted out when I played it that this kind of put cyberpunk's atmosphere to shame. You get into that dance floor at the bottom, and I'm like, there's so many NPCs, probably a couple hundred, and they're all dancing. Like It felt like a club. And then you go into a bar in cyberpunk and there are like 12 people in there and they're just standing around. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that was so cool. And then the thing that really shocked me about the level was just the change in format. Like you are being hunted, Um, not to spoil too much. But I like I love when games sort of flip concepts on their head and it's like, oh, my gosh, like this really stands out. Yeah. And again, the freedom that it gave you to go and. Um, it gave you all these different targets. You had me- you have many more targets in that level than you do in any other Hitman level, which I thought was really cool. And you have the choice of which ones you want to pick off. It's, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and also, not to spend too long on this, but it's fascinating. Like, I loved not knowing how many targets I had. I know that kind of bothered some people, um, and I get that, but yeah. I thought that was just like the suspense of everything was incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I love how the game lets you discover the levels uh, at your own pace, and it doesn't... It doesn't hand you a whole lot, and and so on that point, yeah, I, I just I loved it. Hitman is is uh, definitely going to be one of my games of the year. I have no doubt. I mean, if it's not, that means that twenty twenty one is going to be an amazing year. Um, but it's so far, if this would have been on my top five games of last year had it released last year. Yeah, it's an incredible game. I think it'll make my top ten. Yeah, so um, super super fun I'll continue to play that and so that is what we've been playing again if you like this kind of new format let us know give us some feedback drop us a line at uh our email address again it's preloadedpodcast at gmail.com and now we are going to actually take our first break and when we get back we're going to get into the news we'll be right back 
Did you guys know there are butterflies that drink blood? Or that there's a species of beetle that can shoot boiling liquid out of its butt? Or that blue whales are so big you can swim through their arteries? But there's a species of bat that's so small that it weighs less than a penny. My name's Maya. And my name's Connor. And we are the co-hosts of World's Wildest Podcast. If you guys love nature and you love learning about how crazy it is, Connor and I have over 30 years of experience in wildlife conservation, and we're here to tell you all about them. World's Wildest will take you on a journey to meet Earth's most extreme creatures from the world's strongest to our world's smelliest. Make sure to subscribe for new episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We are now going to get into our top stories of the week. There are a few that I want to rattle off real quick before we get into the the big one. Uh, first, Google had a big announcement at the beginning of the week where they are shutting their first party studios. There are two studios that they're shutting down. Uh, this includes anything that was basically, you know, a first party development studio for Stadia. So that's definitely a bummer. If there are any of our listeners who were Stadia fans, uh, I am not one of them. I don't know about you, Jackson, but uh, <laughs> that's that's unfortunate. Then EA had a great announcement that probably got a lot of people excited, though I'm not a sports game guy. EA Sports College Football is back. It used to be NCAA football, so if you're a sports fan, you can look forward to that. And then just this morning, we got a Hitman 3 announcement, so this made me excited. There's going to be some new content uh, for the game. They're going to uh, introduce some new escalation contracts or escalation uh, levels, which I haven't had a chance to play those yet, and some other stuff. This was announced on their Twitter account. So if you are playing Hitman and you're interested in kind of their DLC rollout, go check out their Twitter. They posted a blog post that kind of outlines their first content drop. So very interesting. But the big news story of the week is obviously Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And I am just going to kick this over to you, Jackson, because uh, you have uh, actually some involvement with this. I do. Yeah. So as Josh said, um, obviously a huge story, I think, for people that it's kind of strange to see it on such a big stage. I, I know that Mass Effect has always been kind of a big thing, but it does seem like everyone's really kind of paying attention to this. But um, we got like a brand new trailer that actually gave us the release date for Legendary Edition. So the game is coming out on May 14th of this year. Uh, which is huge news. But as Josh said, yeah, I've, I've got some direct involvement. Um, essentially, I'm on what they're calling a... It's a community team, but they're calling it the council. And I'm one of 12 people that's been invited by them to provide feedback on the project and um, kind of see it through different stages of development. So that's been like just hopping on Zoom calls and kind of just like seeing presentations and um, giving feedback with other community members. Uh, but yeah, I've given feedback on everything from marketing to um, specific like features that they're implementing in the game, which has been really cool. Um, I can't say a lot right now uh, just because of NDAs. Uh, you pretty much know how that thing goes. Yep. But yeah, just a bunch of side-by-side -side comparisons, which is what they've shown in a lot of marketing, um, which is great because that is the stuff that really caught my eye that they showed me. Like, this is what the game looked like before. And this is what we've made it now. Um, it, it's it's kind of incredible. And really, for me as a fan, it really taps into my desire to visit this series once again. So nice. I'm excited. So one question I have is, uh, well, two questions, I guess. Just what are your overall impressions of the, the, the Legendary Edition? And then what, like, what gameplay 
tweaks are they making? We've all seen kind of like the visuals, but what are they tweaking for gameplay? So um, I'm going to answer the second question first. In terms of gameplay tweaks, they went back and did a lot of stuff for the original game. So um, I think most people are familiar with Mass Effect 2 and 3. Um, yep. Because like those... Exactly. Yeah, those are the ones that kind of brought it to, I think, more of the mainstream space. Um, one was like lauded on launch by critics, but two and three um, with the more action focus and less looting kind of less uh, RPG elements that slow things down. Um, what they've done is they've gone back to one and made it feel more like two and three in that way. Um, so they br- actually like brought the camera angle in. I noticed that's a big thing they did. They unified like the HUD. So the HUD looks more like two and three. Um, they've actually gone in and fixed some cover-based mechanics that were a little wonky in the first game because the first game was kind of like a an FPS or sorry, yeah, it was trying to be an FPS, but it was more an RPG. Yeah. So yeah, that's essentially what they did. And then I actually forgot your first question. <laughs> Just what your overall impressions were. Like, were you pleased with it and all that? Very pleased. Very pleased. Um, the first one is just rough to go back to in its current state. Like, you have to get it on PC and mod it a bunch for it to be, like, super enjoyable. Otherwise, it's just, ugh, it doesn't really age well. So um, I'm just so jazzed to replay this in, you know, a modern way. Nice. Yeah, that that was a super exciting announcement. I did not see it coming. You obviously did, but you kept it to yourself. I had no clue that you were uh um that Ubisoft or at Ubisoft that uh, EA or BioWare had reached out to you. That's that's really exciting. Congrats on that, by the way. That's that's very cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm excited to share more when I can. Um yeah. so you could definitely like stay tuned to to my channel and then I'm sure I'll be able to, you know, add a little bit here and there on the show here. Nice. And with that, we are going to move on to our deep dive discussion of the week, which revolves around another big story and one that may not have gotten as much attention as the Mass Effect story, but there's some interesting nuggets in here. So Embracer Group came out and acquired three studios this week. And if you don't know Embracer Group, I believe they're formally known as THQ Nordic, even though I think THQ Nordic is now one of their subsidiaries. It's very complicated how this all works, but they've been just gobbling up a ton of studios over the last year or two or even three they're now huge they own like 200 different franchises including uh darksiders dead island the metro series kingdoms of amalur um time splitters just a goat simulator saints row a ton of stuff that they own and this week they purchased gearbox which was a huge acquisition for 1.3 billion um, a mobile developer called Easy Brain, who makes like Sudoku games. We're not going to talk about them. But then they also purchased another development studio called Aspire Media, which leads to a very interesting um, potential um, nugget of information. We'll get into that in a bit. But was there any uh, initial reaction to this from you, Jackson? Uh, yes, I was kind of shocked that um, Gearbox was acquired. Um, I guess I shouldn't be due to like Microsoft and Bethesda. Like, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Obviously, this is on a smaller scale, and it really does kind of paint the picture, I believe, of just how valuable um, Bethesda is because yeah. Microsoft paid $7.5 billion. Um, com- compared to Gearbox, not trying to like down or dog Gearbox here, but um, 
Yeah, Borderlands, I think, has a really bright future. It's it's very much like an ingrained series and franchise in this industry. And it's really Gearbox's um, bread and butter. It's their cash cow. So um, it's exciting. Uh, but at the same time, it makes me worry just a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, monopolies, essentially, and these bigger groups grabbing up everything. And I hope that doesn't stifle creativity. I hope not too. Um, however, I am. I have been happy with how Embracer Group has handled uh, two franchises in particular, Darksiders and the Metro series. So based on those two, and those are two of their biggest IPs, I, I hope that they treat Borderlands with the reverence that it deserves and they don't, um, like you said, stifle the creativity. But I have, I have high hopes. I think um, you know, this will uh, potentially be good and hopefully gives Gearbox some extra money to do what they need to do if they, if they needed that. I don't know if they did, but. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, Gearbox is actually pretty local for me. Um, yeah, that's Texas. right. You're, you're down in Texas. Yes. Um, I'm in Dallas, which I'm comfortable saying because it's a huge city. But <laughs> um, yeah, so if Gearbox is out of Frisco, which is very local for me. So I kind of also, um, this is close to me because uh, Battleborn was a Gearbox project that I don't know. I think we've mentioned it once on the mm-hmm. podcast, yeah. but uh, I loved it when it came out and then it just crashed and burned. And just last week, they announced that they shut down the servers on that game. It's an online only game. That means that game is now unplayable. Um, so Gearbox has taken a few stabs at different things, but Borderlands has been their thing that's really worked out. Yeah, yeah. So that's a very interesting piece, but uh, I, I may have buried the lead here with uh, the other studio that they purchased, Aspire. Uh, and the reason that this is interesting, this cost $450 million, so not as big of a purchase, but Aspire, if you don't know, I had actually never heard of the studio by name prior to this acquisition, but they are a studio that has worked on a ton of different ports for games, including Civilization 4 for the PC and Mac OS, and a bunch of different games for 2K uh, games, but they have also worked on a lot of Star Wars ports, including uh, Jedi Outcast, or Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast that recently came out for the PS4 and Nintendo Switch, but most interesting they worked on, I think it was three of the Knights of the Old Republic and Knights of the Old Republic 2 ports, or at least three platforms, four ports of those games, including the iOS ports, the Mac ports, and the Linux ports. And then there was a post on Reset Era where uh, it was pointed out that they're apparently working on a rather large budget game uh, around the, the budget of $70 million, and... This was, let me see if I can get my my notes straight. Uh, It was alluded to that this might be Knights of the Old Republic 2, which if you've been following the show or you've just been following gaming news, it's been rumored that there is a, actually, was it officially confirmed Jackson a couple weeks ago or is it still just a rumor that the Knights of the Old Republic 2 is getting uh, remade? Um, I think it was confirmed. Um, I I think it was too. I didn't want to say so. Yes. Uh, But anyways... I think it was confirmed, and then um, what this little snippet that we're sharing with you is suggesting is that Aspire is working on a AAA licensed title. There we go. Um, and, and that's kind of the connection there. So you think, what is a AAA licensed title? And then you also look at, like Josh said, they've developed other Star Wars things. Who could it be? And then we also, um, the rumors a couple of weeks ago 
were that uh, we would be kind of shocked that this develop a certain developer would be making the the Kotor remake, um, and that's kind of what's been um, confirmed here in not an, an actual like yes it's happening, but in a suggested implied way. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it, it seems all to line up that this Aspire studio, who obviously has familiarity with Star Wars, particularly Knights of the Old Republic, is working on this, potentially working on this um, new remake, or or I don't think it was a port. I think that this sounded more like in the line in in uh, in the vein of a remake. But the last little bit of interesting uh, news, I don't know if you would call it news, but Jason Schreier actually commented on the reset era post that went over some of these details and all he said was hmm uh <laughs> so that is a bit uh jason schreier is not one to drop his name into the comment thread of a post unless there's potentially something there so um i i do think that where there's smoke there's fire i would not be surprised if this is the studio that's do- doing this game I agree, and uh, I don't know if he's already made it. Um, it might already be up by the time um, we post this, but I do want to give a shout-out to uh, Mr. Matty, who's really just been following the scoop really aggressively hard. It's one of his favorite games of all time, and he posted a big, long thread yesterday on Twitter, uh, essentially lining out why he feels that Aspire is the one that's making it and um, and directing me specifically to this post. So shout-out to him for that scoop. Yeah, very, very cool. And, you know, the other thing that this story kind of um, that I take away from this story is this, you know, Embracer Group. I mean, there might be people listening to this that hadn't even heard of that name before listening to this. You know, I was familiar with them because, again, they have been just purchasing up a ton of different studios over the last few years. But more than any of the previous acquisitions they've made, particularly Gearbox, but if Aspire is doing the Knights of the Old Republic reboot which is a huge you don't get any bigger than star wars in terms of ip um they're really building a name for themselves uh and so this could be a group of studios that um you know again if these games like if borderlands continues to be good or whatever gearbox has next ends up being really good and if this knights of the old republic reboot if they're working on it and it is good um some really high quality ip here and some really potentially high quality titles that are more than the double A that we've come to know from them. Like I feel like Darksiders and even Metro to an extent are kind of double A titles, but these are getting into triple A territory here. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it feels like they're taking that next step, um, which is funny because Josh and I, before we started recording, we're kind of talking about um, the origin of Gearbox. You know, Gearbox started as a double A, almost like an assistant studio, not an assistant, but there's a phrase that I'm, that's not coming to mind, but they were sort of helping with other projects and they were taking contract work. Um, this feels like Aspire's taking that step up, just like you said. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. But you commented on something interesting earlier about potential monopolies. Do you think <laughs> that this is getting into that territory? I mean, so many studios that they've purchased and so many IP under their belt. Uh, do you think that that is a problem here? You know, it's hard for me to actually sit here and tell you that it is. Um, I think that there is a propensity, at least in our larger gaming community, to be very skeptical whenever there's acquisitions and large purchases like this. And I think that's the little part of my brain that's saying, hmm, should we be looking at this and um, be a little bit worried? And I think you have to look at the long picture. And also, like Josh roped in earlier, Metro has been great. 
Darksiders has been great. So like right now, I don't think there's any reason to like worry about an acquisition. I think what does um, what this should signal to everyone is that these are valued developers. This stuff doesn't just go through because, you know, these groups want to buy stuff, right? Like yeah. they're buying them and paying a lot of money for a reason. They see value there. So um, I would really be keeping an eye on all three of these. Well, if you like mobile games, easy brain, but specifically Aspire and Gearbox in the near future. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if this, like it does kind of smell like a, you know, monopoly type situation or at least oligopoly where you have like Microsoft, Sony, and, you know, maybe Embracer might be the double A version of that if, uh, if that makes any sense. But, you know, I, I read some of these stories when acquisitions happen and, uh, you know, I know some of these studios, they get a lot of security when they are bought by um, a big publisher, uh, particularly if it's a first party publisher, but in this case, Embracer Group, hopefully they can fund their developers better than they would be able to on their own or at least provide more security. So that's great that maybe some developers get some uh, job security. I'm kind of, in a way, I'm kind of making this up because I don't really know how the details behind the scenes work with these uh, acquisitions, but that's a good, some good news. The other thing is like, I, re- I remember reading with the Bethesda purchase, someone was kind of speculating that maybe Bethesda, as big as they are, maybe they were kind of hurting for cash because of some of the moves they were making with Fallout 76, how they made that a subscription service at one point, or I think it was a subscription service, but they made some moves that kind of made it look like they needed money. And then Microsoft came in with all that, with the $7.5 billion, so that might have uh, provided some relief if that's what was going on. Again, I don't know if that this is exactly how it works, but based off of what I've read, um, I'm hopeful that the people involved with these studios are happy with the the way it's gone rather than upset that now they're maybe not independent anymore. Totally. Um, you make some great points there. I always hesitate to uh, read into like cash flow rumors and whatnot. Um, I think there could be some truth there. Um, but at the same time, my mind thinks that it's probably the more likely scenario that, yeah, Microsoft just saw a lot of value <laughs> in yeah. Bethesda. Yeah. So, um, and that's the same here with Embracer Group. And I like how you um, basically outlined a bunch of the big major like oligarchy players in, in the gaming industry. I mean, you have Take-Two is a huge one. Yep. Um, so they're, they're in the mix. Ubisoft by themselves is, is huge, just like massive. Yep. Um, so it's like you can name um, the major, major players, I feel like, on two hands probably if you, if you went through. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, and we'll continue to have plenty of indie studios out there. I feel like that's where a lot of the innovation comes these days. And uh, so I don't think innovation is at risk in the gaming industry. Yeah, totally agree. So that is our, our deep dive discussion. If you guys have any thoughts on that, let us know. Are you looking forward to the Knights of the Old Republic 2? I guess maybe I did want to ask you, Jackson, uh, are, are you looking forward to that? I mean, I know I am, but it's a game I never played. I, it's like one of my blind spots in gaming. <laughs> it's a blind spot for our podcast because I haven't either. Um, I've yeah. tried it a couple times. I am generally excited. Now, I'm, I'm not someone who will jump at KOTOR news. It, I just don't have that nostalgic desire and... Um, yeah, to, to, to like play it. But at the same time, it's something that a lot of people care about and that's why it catches my attention. Yeah, and uh, it could be a good opportunity to go back to some of that old school Bioware flavor. Uh, yeah, which is so good. I yeah. love it. Yeah, very cool. So 
yeah, let us know in the comments uh, or in an email if you're looking forward to Knights of the Old Republic or if you have any questions about this whole Embracer group situation. We'd love to hear from you. We are now going to take our second break. And when we get back, we're going to dig into our mailbag. We'll be right back. And we're back. Thanks for sticking with us till the end of the show. It's now time to dig into our mailbag. This week, actually, before I get into the question, you can write in to Preloaded, as I've mentioned several times, at the email address preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. So again, if you have a question you want to hear us talk about next week, drop us a line there and we read all of our messages. We will definitely look forward to hearing from you. This week, Donovan writes in with a question about game prices. He says, do you have a general idea of how the game market works in terms of relevance and profitability? More specifically, why are some AAA games released at $60 to $70 only to be steeply reduced in price in the next month or maybe even in a few weeks? And how is it that Nintendo manages to avoid this trend, rarely reducing the price of their games even after a year or more on the shelf and still stay competitive in the industry? Hope you guys are having an awesome week, and thanks for all you do. Well, thanks, Donovan, for the question. Uh, this is definitely an interesting topic. What do you think, Jackson? Yes, thank you, Donovan. Um, awesome question. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. Um, I, I think getting out, down to the root of what you're asking, to me, I think this is a a thing of overhead um, on, on video games. Is like, I, I don't actually know, but I think it's almost nothing after you've put the game out. Unless you're producing a live service game that is constantly in development. What I'm saying is even selling that game at all, I think is great for the company, right? Um, they, they just want the game in people's hands because that also builds like brand um, reliability and trust. Um, so if you get that game in people's hands, even if you steeply reduce it, you see this with Ubisoft, they reduce prices in their games like shortly after launch all the time. And it's not always an indicator of lack of success. Um, it is legitimately a strategy. Um, and as far as Nintendo, man, I, I think some devs just get away with it. Activision does this too with Call of Duty. Call of Duty is always really expensive for a long time. Um, it's almost like an Apple effect to me. I think some brands... Um, position themselves as superior in a way that they can charge more money um, for longer periods of time. Uh, and some brands get away with it and others don't. So um, it's a complicated um, yeah, answer. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, well, I think that most games with you know the, the rock stars aside, most game developers and publishers make the vast majority of their profit after the initial release of a game. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how much it is, but I'm sure it's more than half, or at least I would guess it's more than half. So, sell that's when they're you know going to sell more copies of the game at full price. And yeah, I think that for a game uh, that is not a live service game, it's like any any money that you make after that initial boost of sales is. Um, uh, more profit than revenue once you've, you know, we saw the medium recouped its its development and marketing costs in a day. We saw that with Cyberpunk and we saw that with Hitman. So, um, you know, after that, they can probably afford to dip the game in price to sell more copies. And you're going to, if you're going to sell more copies at a lower price, you know, the math kind of works out there. But um, I'm not a business, uh, I don't have a business degree or anything like that. So I, I could be totally wrong there. Um, the other thing with brands, yeah, I think Nintendo 
has it can charge a premium because I look at them as kind of like the Disney of video games. They just have these IP that are so incredibly valuable. They make such a high quality product. And not only the gaming public, the gaming audience knows that, but even just parents know that and uh, people in general. So Nintendo kind of transcends the typical video game sphere. I feel like Rockstar is the same. And I feel like not Activision, but Call of Duty, the brand, does the same thing, where they uh, just have a premium product. And and I'm talking about more premium than most AAA games. So I think that that's how they can get away with keeping their prices high. People love playing Call of Duty. They're going to play it no matter what it costs. Well, I shouldn't say no matter what it costs, but they will pay full price uh, to have that experience of playing Call of Duty with their friends. You know, so that's... So many great points there, Josh. I couldn't agree more. Um, one little nugget I wanted to add onto what I said um, in terms of overhead, um, and specifically Ubisoft. A lot of developers do this now, but um, I guess you could consider this a live service, but microtransactions are another reason why they lower the prices. Um, if if Ubisoft can sell you Assassin's Creed Valhalla for 40 bucks, but then rely on... Uh, every single person, not every single person, but a lot of people to, uh, I don't know, spend 10 bucks or a little bit more on microtransactions over the life cycle of that game, then, yep. <laughs> you know, that's something that makes sense to them. That's a um, really and, good point. Yeah. And it's also, I, again, I'm not a developer. I don't pretend to know, but it does not cost a lot of money to reskin existing items. Um, not all of them are reskins, but some of them absolutely are. It doesn't cost them money to do that. And so microtransactions are kind of like printing free money, which is why they keep growing. Yeah, and just not to drag this on too long, but I recently saw you know, Rise of the Tomb Raider, which is a pretty old game at this point, uh, was on sale for like six bucks, which is an incredible value. Like if you haven't p- picked up that game and you see it for that price, buy it. It's an amazing game. But that game has some of the best DLC in the Tomb Raider franchise. In fact, it has the best DLC in the Tomb Raider franchise. So it's like if you buy that game and then you get the DLC for you pay, I don't know how much you pay for it, but let's say you love the game and you pay full price for the DLC. Well, that was a then that sale that the company made for $6 was probably totally worth it. <laughs> that is such a good point. An- another angle there. Yeah, companies are very creative with how they recoup. And also, one more thing, sales are very profitable. Um, just across the board, like, like I know that sounds insane, yeah. but like it is like if, if you're going to deeply discount a game, most of the time they make up what they would have if they didn't, um, go on sale. That's just how it works. Yeah. So, uh, wow. We spent a lot of time on that. So great question, Donovan, some interesting stuff there. Again, if you want to have your question discussed, write us at preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. And with that, we are going to wrap it up. Uh, if you, again, if you're listening on the audio uh, platforms, well, first off, thanks for listening or watching wherever you're uh, getting the show. But if you're listening on any of the audio platforms, definitely drop us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Before we sign off, Jackson, anything you want to plug on your channel? Um, pretty soon I'll have an Assassin's Creed Black Flag uh, in 2021 review up. Uh, working on it. It's going to be a long video, and I'm really excited to share it. Nice. And I am working on a a Returnal preview. So if you enjoy my preview content and you're looking forward to Returnal, stay tuned for that. I think after that, I might move on to some Biomutant content. I haven't fully decided, but stay tuned for all that if uh, it sounds interesting. And with that, we are all set for the week. We look forward to seeing you next week. Bye, guys.